Thank you for tuning in to our show today. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com, as well as may they might be listening via their Radio Pup application on their Apple and Android devices. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about some nostalgia, those things, remember those things of the past, and we're going to compare it to some of those things today. So stay tuned to this show for some very wonderful memories of the past that you and your loved ones probably experience. It is Saturday, July the 8th, and we are broadcasting our radio show today for the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre recorded, so we will be unable to accept calling questions and comments from our loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the July issue, the best of times, at one of our 522 distribution locations. We do appreciate hearing from you, and your, we appreciate the compliments you give us about our magazine and our radio. Radio show. Remember, if you're unable to find a copy of our magazine, you can visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues, as well as downloading podcasts from previously broadcast radio shows on the Best of Times Radio Hour. The AARP defensive driving classes are now available in northwest Louisiana. If you are 55 years of age or older and wish to enroll or renew your AARP defensive driving class certification, the Bossier Council on Aging will host a few classes on certain dates in 2017. The upcoming dates are August the 23rd, September the 20th, October the 11th, and November the 15th. Location will be, of course, at the Bossier Council on Aging office located at 706 Bearcat Drive in Bossier City, but classes are limited to 25 people. You must RSVP by calling 318-741-8302. That's 741-8302. Walk-ins cannot be accepted due to space limitations as well as previously printed materials. Remember to visit our website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com for listing of announcements made during today's radio show, as well as other information about upcoming events, activities, and news that you can use. We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tending Country Edge Report, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Coligas. I thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show today is a very special guest. is Mr. Ernie Robertson, who is the widely known memorabilia collector and history buff in Northwest Louisiana. Well, thank you, yes. And that's exactly what I do. <laughs> I call collect a lot of stuff. You collect, but you have remarkable things. Again, thank you, Ernie, for coming thank back you. on the show. Uh, I love whatever you exhibit and show your wares and show your collections. It, it's like brings back nostalgia right there. I remember having that. I wish I kept that. <laughs> right? That's it. I wish I kept some of the things I have. And some of the things I have, other people obviously felt like they needed to get rid of. Oh, so that's it. You know, that's, let's talk about that before we get it to them. My wife, 
I was a pack rat. My mother was a pack rat. My dad was an anti-pack rat. But when I was an only son, and I, we, we had this humongous house with a big attic, and we collected, mother collected everything. I mean, from dating back in the 40s, and, and there was some remarkable stuff. But, but sooner or later, dad told her to get rid of those things back in the 40s and early 40s. And, and like my, as my wife told me, you got to get rid of all those old typewriters, those old gadgets, that crystal radio that's never been used. And your Hallicrafters radio that I got in 19, golly, 1964? Yeah, 64. Wow. And it was a big, wow. so I had tubes and everything. Massive. It was like a boat anchor. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. And it still worked to the day I gave it away. And probably the person that got it at Goodwill or wherever I gave it to probably didn't know what it was. This well, well, no that's te- true. No television set. No, no, no cathode yeah. ray tube. What do you do with this? Yeah, it's a radio. It's shortwave radio. So, again, thank you. Thank you for joining. You you were wonderful. Good to be here. You were wonderful last. Uh, God, it was back in March. Yeah, March, March. A few few months ago. Time flies when you're having fun. Isn't that the truth? And uh, as a matter of fact, I've still got my bad shortwave radio. <laughs> it's sitting in my office. <laughs> well, don't get rid of it. it. Could be a collector. Those no, are I've, really. I've kept that. He had uh, taped the uh, call. Uh, letters uh-huh. for each station. There's, oh. of course, some of the stations aren't yeah. around anymore, but uh, he had them all taped on there, so that's one reason I kept it. Golly, that would have been... I had... Well, that's, we're, we're going back now, so I had QSL cars. You remember those? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That you would send off and they would send mm-hmm. back to you, and I have mm-hmm. them from from all over countries. I mean, from Russia and Romania and, and of course, England and Africa, places in Africa that I, I would receive, and they would tell you to, you know, here's the address to send it to. That's why that's how you would verify. They wouldn't give it. You have to listen to their show, and they would say, if you want a QSL card, which I couldn't remember. What does that acronym stand for? QSL. I, I don't know, but I know some of the names were so neat. There's one that I have is uh, Hitchhiker and Miss Hitchhiker. And uh, then I have one like the Mississippi Super Flash or something. And they all had a, some type of nickname that they used. But uh, so... So, you know, that was an interesting era. I don't know how I got interested in that myself, but I, I know a lot of people in the 60s and 50s had those type of shortwave radios to listen throughout the world. And mm-hmm. I mean, even picking up stations throughout the United States in Chicago and, and New Orleans. And it was on your license plate. It was. It yeah, was. I remember a friend of mine, uh, his dad was W5AFB. Now, where that That's came from, right. that was, but it was on his license plate at a big old yeah. Chrysler in the 60s. The ham operator and the the the, 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 the code number. Uh, the the other thing I want to mention to our listeners, he posts um, occasionally items on Facebook that are t- mm-hmm. you re- remember this and that and and that those those do bring back memories. And I know a lot of people have commented that they're your Facebook friends with them, and uh, that brings that brings a smile to them. You you touch there. Well, good. I'm glad I do. And I, in fact, I've got a couple coming up uh, this weekend and through next week. Uh, some TV clippings I found and and one of them was for uh, Tales of the Lone Ranger oh. I don't even remember the show but uh, I did a little research on it and put a little meat on the bone 
and I've got that on there, and then I've awesome. got a, a couple of more that'll be on there. And uh, Tales of the Lone Ranger. Tales of the Lone Ranger, and another one. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a show that uh, uh, I wasn't familiar with, uh, but it had Michael and Sara in it, who most people know as Cochise, mm-hmm. and uh, he's his picture uh, is not on it, but what well, no, his picture is on it. And I had to make sure I had the right person, but uh, that'll be on there. And I, I just like that sort of thing. I like to go back and find things from the fifties and sixties. Well, we got to keep those there. memories going along. I mean, there there a lot of us we're getting older, but hopefully our <laughs> kids and grandkids appreciate that a little bit. Hope yeah. so. Uh, I think they will. Uh, definitely the guys they like the gadgets. They could believe you know when I when I explained to them about you know back then we didn't have a electric typewriter. We had a manual typewriter. Well, yeah. In fact, we were still using. I think we talked about that last time. <laughs> we're still using them in our office. And then I found out, no, we're not using them in our office anymore. Oh wow! Uh, but well, we still got. We still got it. We still got them. I mean, uh, it was the guy that worked on them, and the uh, the hourly charge was. It was kind of steep. So <laughs> anyway, there was a decision made along the way. We need to do something else. But another thing, too, Gary, that uh, uh, kind of comes to mind is how few things are mechanical. I mean, could you really work on your car? True. I don't think there's anybody that could really work on a car. But back in the 60s and into the 70s, correct, you could still work on your car and do some small things. But I doubt anybody could set their points anymore. No, oh, set the points in <laughs> that little that little gauge. I was an expert there. I had fraternity brothers and people in high school that helped me set my car. But uh, I learned a little bit. But no, now it's everything so electronic. You, you, I mean, it's it's remarkable. That's it. And a circuit board has to be replaced, or this, you know. It, Mm-hmm. And it does all these 40,000 different monitors. But, uh, okay, my train of thought was, oh, I just recently saw the movie about um, the ladies at NASA. What was that called? The Five Hidden Figures or something. Did you mm-hmm. see that movie? I didn't see the movie. I saw all the promos for it. Well, in that movie, it, it goes back, I believe it's in the 60s, late mm-hmm. 60s. And you, I, I was reckon, looking at all the, I wonder where they got all these, where they got all these old typewriters that they were typing and calculators. I mean, we're talking big monster calculators that had the big ground, and we, you would dial in all the, and that's where they would do all their their heavy math until the first that it shows in the show. The first IBM, I forgot the number, showed up, and it was it still didn't work for a while. They still had to do manual calculations at NASA. So uh, uh, I, I remember the, you know, and, and, and I didn't remember the first computer, but I remember some of these typewriters and calculators like that. I would see them throughout the area and people have and when I went to work for Texas Eastern we had some of those big wang uh, yeah. it wasn't a computer it was actually a, a calculator it was massive and it wheeled around on a on a what do you call it a, a, a podium thing that big wheels that it weighed a ton you couldn't pick it up to put it on your desk you had to move it with this apparatus it was and if it dropped it, you could probably have to, two or three guys to help pick it up <laughs> if it ever fell out the secretaries were always, were always worried about that what about let's think about that I was thinking about this driving over today is seat belts in the car when did when, I can't remember exactly when did they first come in cars uh, well I, I've seen pictures of uh, seat belts in cars in the 50s but I think those were specially installed type things I know they were available as an option in the 60s an uh, option as an option if you wanted to get them because uh, 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 my dad had a uh, I think it's a 63 Oldsmobile Starfire, and uh, uh, he had bought it secondhand, 
which is another phrase you don't hear much about <laughs> second hand. And uh, so uh, tell our listeners that don't know that what that is. Yeah, those young listeners, yeah, that's, right. that well, that's a used car. That, that's, we call <laughs> it now pre-owned. Pre-owned. That's, that's second hand. It was second somebody hand. had it. And and it could be third hand or fourth hand. It really could be. You just everybody just kind of called it second, second hand. My second hand car. The, the second hand lawnmower. That by second hand lawnmower, which uh, nobody wanted. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, I think that car is the one that I found out. Well, you know, originally it could have had seat belts because it had a very powerful motor in it, which I found out. And uh, I think too, what brought a lot of that. To the forefront was a car that you never hear about anymore, okay. the Corvair. Oh, yeah. Remember, Ralph Nader said you could turn one over, and they were pretty low-stance car, low center of gravity. It's hard yeah. to turn those cars over. My brother had one. I didn't want to find out if he could, but that's <laughs> what Ralph Nader said. And so, therefore, out of that movement came seatbelts as a mandatory item. Okay, I'm sure the federal government forced that upon everybody. Uh, they did. They I did. mean, and, yeah. and they required it to be a certain width, length, and all the specifications. So all the automotive makers had to. But you know, then they get, then they started getting fancy with the this crossover the belt, cross belt, yeah. And I, I think that took a few years. And then they had the automated ones that drove me bananas, right? Yeah, they were <laughs> the ones that came across yeah. and put you in like a like a, a like a automatic strap you in type of. Yeah, it was one of the crash dummy type deals. <laughs> and that's another thing too. That the uh, one thing people will remember uh, from the racing that took place at the state fair, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Herschel Buchanan, who raced out there uh, for the first time that he ever raced with seat belts, and he'd been racing for years. Was 1955, and he happened as a afterthought almost to put the seat belts which they had to wrap around the interior roll cage his first roll cage but they wrapped them around in a 55 Thunderbird unfortunately that's the car he flipped which he lives through but was seriously injured but he always said well I never needed seat belts per se until later in my career and then I certainly didn't need a roll bar because they were driving all steel cars that had a lot of headroom because he was used to driving Hudson's and Nash's and then later on he drove uh, and they had steel uh, that steel hard hard frame that even if it flipped it didn't need a didn't need a rope didn't Didn't need need a roll bar but so, but that's the safety features, and that developed there. And then I guess Ralph Nader must have seen a NASCAR <laughs> race or somewhere along the way. <laughs> Ralph Nader, that that is an interesting yes uh, person that uh, affected our culture. He did affect our culture and, and, and increased the cost involved, but the safety we don't know. I, I'm just curious. I remember driving my parents. Uh, I mean, I was like in the nine years old. 59 where we drove all the way to Dallas and I was sleeping in the back of seat uh, not on the seat but on the back area of the glass I remember mm-hmm. I, I remember that and you know no seat belts could have had a crash collision nothing ever happened you never hear about car accidents back there and no. and I remember mom putting her hand out occasionally we we stopped real yep. quick I was in the front seat the hand, the hand would come out of uh, this hand would have, would come out and hold you I mean that's going to stop me right yeah, well, sure. <laughs> it's not going to stop her. But it might stop you along the way. But the other thing about that uh, that he was always saying was true, and that was that the uh, the steel dashboard and the steel uh, uh, steering wheel pole uh, were basically uh, projectiles. 
because you went forward mm-hmm. and so many people died from the injuries and were seriously injured from the injuries when they hit the uh, basically a steel uh, steering wheel oh, hole yeah. because it wasn't going to move and a lot of times unfortunately uh, they would also hit the uh, uh, the steel dashboard and so that's when it became padded and it's also whenever they started making a breakaway and collapsible type of uh, uh, steering uh, wheels and all. And so all of that pieced together, I think it's really been a good thing, but unfortunately it took a while to get there. Uh, but one of the other things that we got to talk about while we're on cars, while we're here on cars, uh, we actually went to wider tires. Because in the 50s, we had the narrow little yes, tires. Yes, you're right about that. think about and that. And so now we're up to uh, a much wider tire, which actually improves the stability of the car because a, a skinny little tire <laughs> is going to slide one way or the other. And whereas a wider tire and then uh, the braking systems we have now on cars make you brake straighter than we used to brake on a car. So the, those, those narrow tires uh, had the... They could go, go right and left real fast. They could. Maneuverability was probably quicker, but the safety factors, they would skid and slide pretty easily. They'd they have really a grip, lot of grip, huh? That's right. And that was, again, that came from the racing world because they were using the skinny tires and started getting wider and wider and wider in the 60s. And to where now a racing tire on, say, a stock car uh, is about twice the size of uh, the tires we use on our cars. But I'm glad, glad you brought about cars being made of heavy steel. Back in those days, I remember my dad's uh, car in 1952 uh, Cadillac he had. That baby was heavy. <laughs> oh, yes. Lots yeah. of steel. And lot, I mean, you wouldn't budget. And, uh, you know, really, cars didn't have much plastic until later well, 60s, right? The, well, that's true, because the first type of plastic that I know of that appeared in cars was Bakelite on the steering wheel. That had a, uh, a 48 Chevrolet I bought one time again in my habit mm-hmm. of buying useless objects <laughs> but uh, I bought a 48 Chevrolet and I, I remember the steering wheel was actually uh, Bakelite encased and so uh, kind of tough to find one that isn't cracked apart but that was the early form of plastic and then we just kept putting more plastic in there to lower the weight to meet emission and mileage standard. And also saving money, too. I'm so sure that's still always the... Still the was heavy. I mean, still was uh, expensive. Expensive, heavy, and, um, you know, it might have lasted a while, but it also... Uh, I, I can... Here's a, a quick story. When I bought my one of my cars when I got graduated from high school, I bought a GTO, and it was fully loaded. And But uh, when we took it out of the dealership, for that first day when it first came in, Ernie, we, my dad and I got in the car. I was so excited. So I went and I told him, we'll take care of the papers later. I want to drive it. It's been here. You know, I want to drive it. So I drove it and we ran out of gas on a railroad track. I oh, can't remember no. some part of Shreveport. It's a few miles away from Holmes Pontiac downtown. And so my dad and I, this is the stupid. So we get out. Dad said, got to push. And I said, why? There's a train coming. Oh, no. <laughs> there was a train. We could see the train blowing his horn way far away. Push, Gary, push. And I, so we, I, we got out and both pushed. Uh, but dummy, me, left it in park. 
they don't go forward. You don't go forward. It didn't even budge. So we we finally, Dad says, this thing's not even budging. So I get in there and see if it's in neutral. Neutral? Oh, I just put it in park. I thought you put it in park, it moved. But uh, I I wasn't a big, I was, you know, new new car driver, two years driving cars in 1965 to 68, 67 when I got it. But the, the funniest thing was, when we put it in neutral, it was still heavy. That, oh, it was man. on two railroad tracks with thick tires and super heavy weight steel. It don't, though it had a rubber bumper. That was the only plastic it had in the whole, mm-hmm. whole car. So it, it took us a lot of rocking and forth, and we barely made it across the railroad tracks when the train came by, didn't slow down at all, and waved at us. And I said, that's <laughs> it. Don't be chill. Chill out. Could have been worse. Could have been hit. Could have been damaged, but we didn't own the car then, so we took it. So there's a longer story about it. We did have to walk back, no gas, and nobody stopped for us. And oh, no. we had to walk all the way back to the dealership and tell them. And they said, where's the car? Well, it's a few miles down the road. <laughs> I should still have more gas in that. Did it have uh, power windows, or did you? Power windows. Or the, the hand roll-up type windows. Power. But no, the the... the uh, the first thing I should observed in a new car, if it has 595 miles already on the odometer, you know that somebody has tested it yes. locally or somewhere before you got it. And, and all they the drove gas, it for the weekend. All the gas, <laughs> three days, they actually drove it without telling me it was in town. It was the first Pontiac GTO of 68 that it came into Shreveport. So uh, that's the rest of the story there. <laughs> we'll be right back with more information. But now we're from our sponsors and advertisers. You make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by A Bears Tenant Country S Report, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep Dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Keel. Now, back to the Best of Times with your host, Gary Kaligas. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by A-Bears, Tenant Country, Us Report, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Kaligas. I do thank you for listening to our show today. Joining me on my show is Mr. Ernie Robertson, who is a widely known memorabilia collector, history buff of our area, and we're talking about reminiscing of Remember When. So Remember When? Roller skates. <laughs> Roller skates and uh, roller rinks, roller roller rinks, as well as uh, roller skate keys. Uh, oh, Melanie keys. even remember uh, had the song. I have a brand new pair of roller skates. You have a brand new key yeah. uh, for the folks from the '60s. And uh, <laughs> I'm not going to sing it, but uh, you did good. <laughs> <laughs> there was uh, there was one well-known roller skating rink in Shreveport. Which on was? Greenwood Road, yes. which was Lou Dindy's. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, Lou Dindy's was... What uh, years was it there? This is going to be uh, 40s and 50s. It was actually taken out by the uh, building of Interstate 20 oh. because it was a little bit west of El Chico on Greenwood Road. You know where and El Chico Lou is. Dindy's uh, goes away and some of the uh, things associated with that. My mom wouldn't let me go there. But uh, some of the things associated with that, uh, the lady that was the organist, I actually ran across oh. uh, someone that was their mother, I think. And then uh, also, uh, one of the best known skaters in this area, uh, there were a lot of good skaters, uh, was a guy named Kerry Scriber. And uh, Kerry uh, was a little short guy. 
and he was an incredible skater. I ran across a picture uh, in the newspaper of him and all the other top skaters in that area. So that was one of the earlier ones, but there was another one uh, that was actually at the uh, state fairgrounds. What? There was a... There was a roller skating rink, and I got to tell you the story behind how I found it out. Uh, I was looking through a book, and on the inside uh, front cover, there was a motorcycle racing a skater. And the line on it was that this was from Shreveport, Louisiana. Oh. And so I said, oh, good grief. Just what I need is another mystery. So I go searching around, and I was making doing a speech one day. A lady came up to me, and I said something about it. She said, I used to go to the skating rink across from Fair Park. Across from Fair Park by the, okay. by the fairgrounds. Oh, got- and so I find out it was actually... In the old Coliseum, not the Hearst Coliseum, there's another one if you're familiar with postcards. And there was another Coliseum, and it's kind of diagonally across from Fair Park. And that's where the skating rink was located. They were allowed to use that as a skating rink. And the name of it was El Canal. Don't know who that all stood for. El Canel. E-L-C-O-N-E-L. El Canel. we got to find out why it was named that. Yeah, I hadn't dug that far to find out the El Canel part of it, but I will also tell you, it was also used for uh, uh, community concerts, it was used for wrestling matches, basketball games, you name it, uh, it was a more of a local type coliseum rather than a, an event center, but uh, that was on the skating rink part of it, and then of course uh, the interstate skating rink wound up being built uh, by the wine gardens. Oh, uh, for that's those true. The, for those from the west side will remember the wine the gardens. gardens. Yes. And underneath the wine gardens was Bolero West Bowling Center. Oh, that is definitely. 1958. And I actually went there. I remember. That was eight years old. I can mm-hmm. I can recall that one. Bolero. Oh, Bolero wow. West. And then this uh, companion center was Bolero East, which was over across from what would become Shreve City. So uh, let's talk. So I, w- I was always wondering, where did people back in the 40s and 50s get roller skates? Do we have a roller skate specialty store, or they bought it at a... I think they came from variety stores. Right. By the time I got there in the 50s, I remember seeing... Uh, at TG&Y and Woolworth. Woolworth, and also uh, there was another one over uh, on Juella Reese's Variety Store is my favorite. And uh, it was kind of tucked in behind Big Chain. And so uh, they had skates for sale, but I think it was more of a TG&Y type deal. Remember, they adjusted mm-hmm. based on the length of your foot, foot, and that was a reason for the key, I guess. I never was a good skater. Hey, uh, we're alike about that. I was not real good. I could get around, but no, I would go real slow. I'd crash and boom. And, but, you know, but then skates got, I'm going to ask our historians here, when did they change to the full shoe skate? They were using the full shoe skate. Uh, I've got ads at least post-World War II. Oh, okay. uh, I found some ads that uh, that were commercial, by the way, and they were selling uh, the leather okay. with the strings, uh, top strings. They were selling those uh, as early as 47, I know. So they probably existed prior to the war. And skating was a bigger deal uh, in colder climates, just like bowling was, because you stayed in more, and so it winds up being uh, what you did for a hobby might be more inside-oriented rather than outside-oriented. We're down here. It was always hot. We don't really have a winter. And so uh, that's where uh, I started 
started seeing the actual companies that sold those types of uh, uh, skates. Now, one other thing in looking at all of that, uh, there were several of the skating rinks. There was one down at Keithfield that a lot of people know. And then uh, I think Johnny McFerrin owned a couple of them down mm-hmm. South Shreveport. And then there was one over in Bossier, uh, which uh, the building, I think, is still there. It's across from where uh, the Griffs was on Old Menden Road, right there at the junction with Northgate. And there was a building there, and that was the uh, another one, I think, that Johnny owned, uh, the skating rinks over there. Wow. I wonder, did they have skating clubs? Did you, did you research They may that? have. No, I haven't gotten that Like far. racing clubs, skating clubs. I know that's oh. the place to meet meet and greet. And everybody oh, hung yeah. out and skated oh, for yeah. a while, then meet and greet and skated around. And, and, uh, and it, you know, it continued on for years, and then it it's died off. You don't see... You don't see, uh, you don't see uh, much about skating anymore at all. I think we still have something in this report area. I mean, Yeah, we, we still have, have some one. skating centers. Uh, one of them became uh, the one in South Report. One of them uh, becoming a... Uh, a bounce center, you know, with all the bounce toys, oh, yeah, those big yeah. uh, inflatable toys, and so uh, you have a lot of kid parties there, and it's kind of like bowling. Bowling has changed dramatically from being league oriented to being a weekend uh, birthday party type center and glow bowl and turn off the lights and <laughs> and but there are still competitive bowling events around, but most of them turn out to be well, let's, more. Let's like talk that. about bowling. I remember. In this report in Bossier, when I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, there were a lot of bowling alleys and a lot of people playing. Right? There were bowling was very popular, especially post World War II in the 40s and 50s. We had downtown Shreveport downtown bowling center. It was actually across from the Spot Club, and the Spot Club had three and a half lanes. I don't know what a half <laughs> lane is. Maybe that was a practice lane that got half moved. Lane. Half lane. <laughs> that did. I in fact, I talked one. to an old time bowler. Said, "Oh yeah, they had a half lane." I he didn't know what it was for either. But uh, <laughs> all that got moved to the Jordan Street Bowling Center. Jordan Street. <laughs> I was waiting for that look. Jordan Street Bowling Center, which was over where the railroad tracks were. Okay. Uh, not far from Holmes Pontiac that oh. you were talking about. Maybe right around that area I got stalled. <laughs> it may be because there were a lot of tracks right in that yeah. area. And... Uh, uh, right across from there, in fact, the the wall of the old uh, Jordan Street Bowling Center uh, actually collapsed not long ago, maybe over a year, maybe two by now. And a buddy of mine that works near there said, your bowling alley wall collapsed. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, there was that one. And there was also, of course, uh, uh, we wound up with the two Bolero Centers. Southgate was another one. Free State. Free State was a huge bowling center. I think it was 44 or 48 lanes. Bruce I remember State, going, I remember there, going there. there. Yeah, and, and it was a big and there center. was a big one by by Shreve City for years when I was growing up, and yeah. that was packed. Yeah. I mean, you could hardly get a lane there. You had to you had uh, to reserve, reserve, reserve and then one. I mean, guaranteed. I remember it, it was, and it was seven, I was open seven days a week, and I absolutely. Think the, and then I think it stayed open quite late in the evening. I think the neighbors neighborhood didn't like it with all the cars, but uh, even Tebby's Bolero, Tebby's. It was uh, owned by our managed by uh, Don Tebby. He kind of leased everything there. And uh, it is closed now. And Holiday Lanes and Bossier is a long, long-term survivor from it that is. era. Uh, I think it opened in the late 50s as well, if my memory is correct. So, and there were more uh, that we had. Vivian and Spring 
hill and around in this area. So, you know, back in those days at Christmas, you were hoping and praying to get that brand new fancy bowling ball. That's right. Uh, and also, you might want to got skates. Now, I did get skates, but I remember exchanging those because I already had some. I didn't want the brand new ones anyway. <laughs> I couldn't use the old ones too well. I remember somebody, one of my aunts or uncle, got me some brand new skates with a different key. The, the, you know, the keys were were were, if I recall, coordinated for the skates. It was like I it, it, it was it was yeah. like specialized key for that for that skate only. But yep. I think that was part of Melanie's song. Oh, that's right. You're <laughs> Maybe right. that's what she was talking about. Nobody really ever understood that song. No, no. But, uh, <laughs> and one other thing while we're good. there, Buster Brown shoes. Oh, yes. I didn't mention it last time. And okay. who in the world was Buster Brown? Who was Buster Brown? Buster Brown was a cartoon character. He actually started, and he had a little dog, and the dog's name was a little what? black and white dog, uh, Tig, T-I-G. T-I-G. And T-I-G-E. T-I-G-E. I take that back because later on I remember seeing in uh, uh, The Mod Squad on TV. Okay. The guy who played the uh, kind of straight man role as the sergeant was Tig Andrews. And that's where supposedly the nickname came for him was from the Buster Brown dog. And Buster Brown, when he started out, was not the clean, all-American, wholesome character. I mean, he smoked cigars. He was a little kid. He smoked cigars, I think, drank beer. And so, uh, anyway, they had to kind of clean him up some and change his costume. Uh-oh. So, <laughs> clean him up a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, he became Buster Brown, and they actually employed five different people to go around to Buster oh, Brown to, stores uh, to, to, be like to be like Buster Brown. And wow, I, that's a great. I love that trivia. Yeah. Did they ever come to our area? Do you know? Yes, they did. That's how I found out about it. They and actually came here. Do we have a Buster Brown shoe store? Buster or? Brown shoe store downtown, of course, on Texas Street. Wow. And what years was it there? Uh, this is going to be twenties. What? Yeah. 1920s? 1920s up until Buster Brown may still be around, but Buster Brown's popularity uh, went along until about World War II. And then it faded well, shoe the stores downtown, the Phelps shoe store? Phelps shoe store. Was quite quite famous. Yes. And uh, remember they had the machine that, the fluoroscope machine yeah. that you put your foot on. We're all wondering. Now. In fact, I, one of the heirs was one of my voters I went to see. And I said, I always wondered, was that like an x-ray? Was I getting x-ray? He said, we don't talk about that. <laughs> so uh, I did go in there. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Finger was uh, Finger. Mr. Finger was their best salesman. And whenever I brought his name up, he said, oh, yes. He was a great salesman. And Mr. Finger uh, was the guy who fitted everybody for shoes. Okay, correct me if I'm not wrong, but Mr. Phelps, the shoe, uh, came up with some boots that were cowboy-style boots that were very unique, right? Do you recall I've, that story? I've heard him tell the story about the boots, and I don't, I can't recall the whole story. Because... It, predecessor, I think before the 1920s, whenever I can't remember when he came into to America, uh, I didn't know this that boots were all one side. They weren't no, a right. They, right. they weren't a right or left. Mm. And mm. Mr. Phelps 
design some that were were fit and use that fluoroscope probably. Oh, probably. <laughs> probably <laughs> they were glowing. Their foot's glowing. I could probably use that today. It might help me. <laughs> and they were across the street from another well-known store in Shreveport, Jordan and Booth. Yes. Which was a local store. and uh, A lot and, of history there. A lot of suits. Oh. My parents, my uncles and aunts and would buy gifts. And I got my first, I think my first suit there. I think I recall many, many, many years ago. And they had the tailors there that would Oh, would measure you and fix y'all Suits up. were incredible. They weren't like uh, going to pennies and buying them off the rack or something. <laughs> and they were great suits. And I, one other thing while we're on that topic of downtown stores, uh, really what we lost downtown, and there's no big news, is the fact that we were uh, losing all of our local stores. And they've all gone away, whether it's Selbers or Rubenstein's, or whatever you want to think about. Yeah, and, and you know that's sad. But those you couldn't support them based upon the volume. These big no. these big guys came in there and and took them over. And then they, we, of course, Shreve City changed the the whole outlook. Shreve City, was I remember the us shopping one. when I was younger. Everything downtown for clothes and shoes and even appliances. I think going to Sears, if I mm-hmm. recall, there before they mm-hmm. moved to the the mall area there. But uh, no, that you bring. Back some good memories here. We'll be right back with more information, but now a word from our sponsors and advertisers who make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Kiel, proudly presented by A Bears, Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep Dealer. Gary's got more of the Best of Times coming for you on 710 Kiel. Now, back to the best of times with your host, Gary Coligas. Welcome back to our show, the best of times radio hour, proudly presented by A Bears, Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. Joining me on my show today is Mr. Ernie Robertson, who is a widely known memorabilia collector, history buff in our particular area. Thank you, Ernie, for joining us today here on the best of times radio. Thank you very much. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about hobbies. Have you found a continued interest in hobbies? Well, there's quite an interest in hobby. There always was in Shreveport because we had hobby shops. Ah, yes. And one of the things, and we also had uh, what was that? Uh, what was it shops. called? Is Bosco's? There's Bosco's. Oh, you're talking about heaven now. Bosco's. <laughs> Bosco's was in uh, Shreve City. Correct. It was tucked in the back corner. Correct. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's in the back corner. The back alleyway in the back. In the back alleyway. Right where Burlington is located. That's right. Okay. Along in there, and there used to be a nightclub that moved in there. Years oh, and years later. You are right. Well, you've got a good memory. This is, anyway. a, this is a testing memory show here. We should have said, do you remember when? In Bosco, I remember walking in there, and uh, he had planes, mm-hmm. and he had ships. Right. Of course, I was car guy. He had lots of cars. He had all kinds of uh, uh, models that I wouldn't make, like the little uh, engine models and the Correct. steam engine deal and all that. But uh, some of those have actually survived. Every once in a while, you'll see uh, some of the car or plane models. You don't, you never know if they're complete or not. <laughs> but uh, there was another other place, uh, again, I think I've already mentioned, the Reese's Variety Store. Where was that one? That was the one behind Big Chain, uh, over at the corner of Juella and uh, okay, yes, uh, yes, Lake now, Shore. Lake jo- okay, now and I know it was that. tucked back there, and it was a great little place to go, and there were different car models. I, I know this, and in fact, I even recently uh, picked up from a guy uh, 
uh, he was a plane collector, and he still had the instructions Whoa. on how to put the planes together, and that's a big deal. So well, um, it's important to have the box too, right? Oh, the, the box, box, the box is the holy grail, and, but, and, and the box with the cover. I mean, oh, they, they're just hard to find. And I, I remember going there, and I was uh, AMT was the best car model, but Ravel put out a car model and Monogram. Monogram, uh, I remember that name. Yeah, they, uh, different types, different prices, but Ravel was more of a California type company. They were on the cutting edge of what you were going to get, and you could make, uh, uh, you know, uh, custom cars out of those, or you can make race cars, you can make a regular car, whatever you wanted. So uh, that was kind of neat. But the other thing, too, was stamp collections. Right. Boy, we had some stamp places to buy stuff. We had J&B Stamp Company, and uh, stamps were always mixed in with coins at the end of the month. And by the way, uh, they'll have the big yearly uh, stamp and coin show, uh, token show. It's always interesting. And mixed in there with those guys will be baseball cards. Okay. And I think every young man uh, in the 60s. Yeah, I did not know any ladies that collected baseball cards. Not many. Not many collected. They may have enabled their children. <laughs> but, uh, they didn't really collect them. But uh, uh, that was one of the baseball cards back in the day, in the 50s and into the early 60s. And, I mean, of course, they've existed since uh, really uh, the old cigarette cards are the most most collectible, and they're from the 1890s and 1900s. And, did did uh, you collect baseball cards? I had baseball cards, but I was one of those dummies who uh, took the... Uh, clothespin and put them on the spokes on my tire. I did too. I'm, hey, we're, we're alike, Ernie. Exactly. That's what I do with mine. And I had probably had Mickey Mantle going on uh, all over and over. And, uh, and Roger Maris. I, I was not a serious one. That's what I bought them for. I mean, I bought them to look at them and followed them. But I was not a big uh, sports enthusiast for baseball cards as well. But uh, but I'm glad you brought... But the thing that I did, I don't know about, is coin collecting. And oh, yeah. I was a, a I I got it at an early age, and the reason why is because my dad had a restaurant, uh, the Seven Seas oh, Restaurant on Uri and Oxley. So you had a ready supply. I had a ready, <laughs> so I would say, Dad and my uncle and my aunts, uh, I need to help my. I bought my little. Remember those. Uh, oh, books, yeah, the little books. Books that they're yeah. blue. I can't remember mm-hmm. what they're called. It. And so I, would, I had all dimes. of them. Penny, nickel, dime, quarter, half dollar, and even silver dollars. But people would pay in silver dollars back in, in the in the mm-hmm. 60s and their late 50s. I mean, they would pay in silver dollars. And we would say, I would say, thank you. I needed that one. We see if the date's right and what's the, uh, what right. meant was it at. So uh, and today I still have those. So the baseball cards, mom gave away. I did have a great base. And the stamp collection, my mother gave away, surprisingly, only about 10 years ago, she gave away both of those items, which my sons now said, Dad, why'd you give those away? I said, hey, I don't know if they're worth anything or not, but we decided to give them to somebody. So mm-hmm. we, ended up, we ended up giving them to some kids around the block, so they were thrilled. Uh, but no, coin collecting, I think that's survived for many, many years. It really has. Coin collecting really Stamp has. Collecting Stamps collecting has waned. In fact, I was talking to... Uh, it's for, uh, you don't want to say the forever stamp. There's like, like, no, there are. <laughs> you, you can't even tell a date on those things. It's no. hard to find. Oh, they, they, I think they're useless for collecting. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Wayne Haney, yeah. well, most folks know him through a coin shop here. Right. And uh, Wayne and I grew up together. And his dad uh, was a big coin uh, dealer. And then uh, 
through the years, Wayne picked up that uh, that ability and that trade, and then uh, he plotted here until his unfortunate death. So uh, I say that because in a lot of cases, for kids that were stamp collectors, they kept the collection, mm-hmm. and it slowly just faded away as a collectible. Right. Coins didn't. Right. Coins stuck around, and people have collected coins and continue to collect coins. But I like it now, and I've visited a few of them in the area. It's great that, to teach the kids and the grandkids. There's history behind those coins mm-hmm. and why they were minted that way. I mean, everything, the date and the why those those uh, those uh, those uh, the pennies, the steel pennies back in the the, the war years, war too, yeah. those many years, because they copper was used for other things, and they had to revert back and. That's why they were made. They weren't just, you know, a fluke of the the mints. No, that was there was a reason why. Yeah, and it was a very definite decision on that. And and the other thing too that when it, you know do kids collect things, they do collect things now. But uh, you know whether it's a Pokemon type thing <laughs> or something, I you know I see a lot of different things. Uh, but the other thing that kids collected always were the little metal cars. You're right. I mean, we're going back to. I can remember the plastic made-in-Japan cars. They sold them in a bag. I think they were 19 or 29 cents a bag. And uh, they sold them at Reese uh, Variety. I remember that. Bosco's didn't I have did, them. I, oh, you bring my great memories. I remember those. I bought yeah. those. Many I of those. I love those. And it had the Vauxhall in there uh-huh. and the Packard. These are some names you'll never see again. <laughs> and uh, the Hudson. And a lot of cars that are now kind of orphan cars. But... Uh, you could play with those. You could do anything you wanted. Uh, and then slowly I evolved into getting uh, plastic uh, models to deal with. And so uh, bigger ones. They all grew. Ones. You added water, they grew yeah. a little bit earlier. Is that they, right? Isn't that the truth? That's exactly they grew, what they, they grew. And then, the, and then the metal one, the metal the full big, medium uh, 12 gauge, whatever the, the I can't remember the the terminology, but the the the, the scale ones, but they're yeah, metal. They're, they're yeah, the remarkable. metal ones that are usually. Uh, I know the plastic ones were one twenty fourth, and so uh, uh, the metal ones would probably be closer to a one sixteenth or something. They were a lot larger, but you don't see no. a lot of those around anymore because they were toys, and toys were meant to be played with. And and luckily they're not been stored away. They, they didn't keep the boxes. Uh, I remember my uncle was a Ford dealership. Uh, on the, was a manager general that he would give me these uh, Shelby oh Shelby Cobras Cobra oh. the model and he oh. just you want one Gary and within the complete box and I got that and every new car he would come out the Mustang and I don't know what happened to him I had them all and he would give them to me like every salesman year. samples yep. and yeah and yep. they were just a full mock up beautiful beautifully done and then I, re- I remember I remember the Shelby GT because I actually got many years later to drive one and so uh, it was like pretty awesome that I had drove the car and had the model of the car after I drove wow. it. Couldn't afford it, but I got, <laughs> got to drive it. Take a test drive. I did take a test drive. That's what those guys were doing with the uh, the GTO. You yeah, they, they were. They were test drive. 490, <laughs> 596 miles. I remember that like, to my day. And, and Dad said, is that normally what they do? They, we went back to the dealership. But... Uh, 
That was an accident. They forgot to tell us. It was there three days earlier before they called oh, us. Three a, days. Uh, they were making accident. sure it was going to be perfect before they called us. But no and gas in it. No gas. <laughs> they didn't look at the gas there. Everything else was a bag. It was, it was polished to the nth degree. Everything was beautiful, but didn't put any gas on the guy <laughs> after four, 596 miles. Yes, yes, I remember that one. Uh, no, but collections, I, I, I hopefully I'm going to get my grandkids. My, my kids weren't heavily involved in and collecting things, but I think it's important. Uh, definitely coins and other things for them to collect and move on. I mean, that's well, my son has kept collecting. He was a baseball card collector in the early '90s, and now he's into a, a subculture of uh, those <laughs> cards. Uh, there, there are different subcultures. I've-